Let's be seated. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, we will be looking at verses 6 through 12. If you're using one of the pew Bibles found on the rack in front of you, it is found on page 1,166. Colossians is a book that starts off in chapter 1 of, of telling us who Christ is. And it says that Christ is supreme. He is actually the creator of the universe, and he is God. He is God incarnate. And Colossians 2 continues with who Christ is, but then it adds us. And it says, who are we? Who are we in Christ? What is our relationship with him? So as we read this morning, I want you to focus on that, to see how are we supposed to act now that we are in Christ. So this is a reading from Colossians 2, verse 6. So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority." In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you walk with us. Let us be in you and let us walk so that we may see how we are called to obey your commands and follow you. Let us see how your power works in us, that we have your power and authority over sin and temptation, and let us see how we are to be changed, that we are to love more and love better and care for others in this world and love you more fully. In your name, amen. What is the power of love? Love is incredibly powerful, right? We have stories of it. When we, you know, maybe when you were a teenager, you had that first love, and, and you know what teenagers do. They go a little crazy, and you know, you have that teenager who buys a thousand roses for the love of their life, um, because love is incredibly powerful. Um, or you have, when you first become a parent, you're, you're holding that child who is just crying and, and wiggling, and, and you go, I've just met you, but I love you, and I will care for you because love is incredibly powerful. And even if you don't have stories like that in your life, you, ha you have the culture, you have movies, you have books in which, um, you know, two people go high and low and through mountains and through valleys, and they eventually find each other at the end, and you know the reason for it is just because they love each other. But that kind of love isn't every day, right? We might have key moments of love in our life. We know moments in culture of love, Day-to-day, day, our love for others is not that powerful, is not that strong. Because we say we, we love our family, we love our friends, we love others, and, and we might know what that means in our head, but to live it out to the fullest extent is rather difficult. Because yes, I, I would take a bullet for my family, but ask me to change my preferences or give up my time, that's too much. Or when, when I love someone and they, they slight me in the wrong, in the, you know, they, they do something wrong against me and God calls me to simply just forgive them. I don't think I can do that. 
That's too much. What this passage is actually calling us to recognize is that we say we love others, we say we love God, but more often than not, the true love of our hearts and the true love of our lives is ourselves. We love ourselves more than we love others. And in this passage, it's calling us to recognize the tendency of this love and instead surrender to the love of God. We surrender the love of ourselves and replace it with love for God and love for others. Because similarly about love, as Christians, we would claim Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is Christ. He is, he is ruler over us. And we know that in our heads, and there might be moments in our lives where we feel it to the fullest extent. But day to day, I don't think we really live it out. We struggle. We might not feel it. So this morning, let's actually explore what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean in Christ to walk with Him? What does it mean in Christ to have power through Him? And what in Christ is it to change through Him? So first, in Christ we walk. So go back to the beginning of the passage. Look at verse 6. It says, So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. And I actually prefer the ESV translation where it says, continue to walk in Him, to walk with Christ, to walk and be with Christ. And the question for us is, why do we walk in Him? It's the very beginning of the passage. It says, because we've received Christ. And the Bible has already talked about this, but, but go back to Colossians 1, verse 21. It says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Right there it is saying, it's, it's the start of the gospel. It says, we are hostile. We did evil deeds. We have done wrong. We have sinned. And then it goes on to say in 22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And it says the glory of God appeared in Christ. And Christ, even, even Christ himself said, you have done evil, you have done wicked. The penalty for your sin is death. But look what it says. It says we have been reconciled because he took his body, Christ took his physical body and put it to death. And why did he do that? For the simple reason to present us holy and blameless and free from accusation before him. To say, your evil deeds, what you have done wrong, the penalty has been paid for, and now you are considered holy and without sin. And that is the gospel. This is the foundation of our lives. This is the foundation of our faith. This is the thing that we as a church proclaim day in and day out, is the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and that Savior has come through Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful and firm foundation. So the question for us is, why do we walk in Christ? Because of that truth. Because of the gospel, because we were sinners, Christ is Lord, and He died for us, and we repent of our sins and follow Him, claiming God as Lord and showing Him our love by obeying His commands. And what the Bible is saying here is because you have received Christ, walk in this truth. Since Jesus Christ is Lord, let Him be the one to establish our values, establish our thinking, establish our path, direct our conduct. And as our lives have begun in Christ, they must continue to look to Christ and look to Him alone. The Bible is telling us, don't just believe in Christ, 
but make a commitment to him to walk in his teachings, to walk in his commands. And this is actually how we walk in Christ. Look at verse 7 of chapter 2. It says, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. We walk in Christ because the motivation to walk in him is not, how am I feeling today? Or, what has God done for me lately? But it is the gospel. It is his love for us. It is because we are in him. The person who is rooted in God's love, rooted in Christ, responds by walking in him, doing exactly what we should be doing, and we simply walk. And the two key words here is rooted and built up. First, rooted. We, we understand rooted, right? We talk about a tree, and we understand the roots, and we understand it is basically impossible to remove the tree from the ground without some tools. The roots are strong. There is a firm foundation of the tree. And then we talk about the other word, keyword being built up, and, and we think about construction. We think about brick after brick after brick of, of this tower being built, of, of us maturing, of us growing. <coughs> and we know what it's like to see something being built, right? We Actually, all, all of us this morning saw construction being taken place right out here on Marsh Road for the exits of northbound 95 and southbound 95, right? And we, we know what it's like to see something being built up. And, and there's many days where you've probably passed by and you go, I don't think anything's gotten done. I don't think they've done a single thing this past week. Um, and, and there's times where I'm at, I'm at my house looking out the window and I see, and I, I see the construction workers and I go, I don't know if they're doing anything. But they simply come. They simply come and they do their job and they work day in and day out. And, and what happens is I don't see it in the moment. I might not even see it day by day. But right now we can actually look outside and say, half the project is over. They've already completed the southbound entrance. And we see it being built up. We see it being changed. Day after day, the construction workers come in and simply do what they're supposed to do, and it's being built up. They're simply walking. And we need to keep walking in Christ, moving one step at a time forward in our faith. And, and I know it's hard because we like the immediate. We like the conclusion. We like the solution. We like to be, for it to be over quickly. Trust me, I would like the northbound side to be open quickly. But life isn't like that. Because think about the last time that you had conflict in a relationship. We have this idea that, all right, I'm just going to have one conversation with this person. I'm going to say my piece, and it's going to be over. Our relationship is going to go back to the way it was. But it's not like that, is that? No, it's usually one step and many, many steps for you to get the relationship back to where it was. It's the same with our relationship with Christ. We can't expect one sermon, one Sunday school, one book, one devotion to be the thing that solves it, that makes it all better, that we are instantly sinless, that we are perfect, that we know everything about God. No, what God is calling us to do is simply walk. Keep walking. Let Christ lead your walk. God has placed you here today because He is calling you to walk in Him through His church, through every Sunday morning worship service to come and walk. For Sunday school, we just started a new Sunday school quarter. If you didn't join us this morning, that's okay. Join us next week. It's brand new. And to walk and to hear about God's love for you. You might have heard the book of Exodus 20 times. I'm telling you, the 21st time you'll learn something new. 
and join a community group, to walk alongside other believers, to see how they grow and they change and see how you are going to change and grow by being with believers, by walking in your faith with them. Now, I can probably guarantee and promise you that if you come to church this morning, you went to Sunday school, and you go to community group tonight, tomorrow morning you won't look back and go, wow, I'm radically changed. Because life doesn't happen like that. Our faith doesn't happen like that. But I can promise you and say to you, if you walk in the Lord, if you continue to walk in Him, you are going to be able to look back and go, remember all those worship services. Remember all those Sunday school classes. Remember all those community groups. I have been changed. I didn't see it at the time, but I was being built up by God, and I see it now. So although we don't see change right away, we are being built up, and God is calling us right now to make a commitment to walk in Him because we have received Him through the gospel. So not only do we walk in Christ in Him, we also have power. Because the Bible doesn't pretend that walking in Christ is easy. It actually goes on to state in verse 8, See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. God knows that we can be taken captive, literally meaning to be carried away as prisoners, away from our walk in Him. So the question for us is, why are we taken captive? And this question is a struggle for a lot of us because usually we fall into two schools of thought. Either on the one side we say, you know what? Life's going pretty good. I have my sin kind of nice and tidy. I'm not that bad. I have everything in control. Life's going exactly the way it should be. Or some of us are on the opposite end where, where we go, I, I'm not getting any better. Sin is, is reigning in my life. There's all this temptation. I'm not doing well. I'm, I'm out of control, and there's no control over sin in my life. The problem with these two thoughts is they're actually what the passage warns us about is this deceptive philosophy, is this idea that either we are in control or there is no control. Because in accordance with Christ and His commands, it calls us to something. Because in the one hand, there's the temptation to say, I look at my life and I say, I, I'm good enough, I'm in control, but, but what, what, who's actually in control? It's not me. Look at the passage. Look, look at what it says in verse 9 and 10. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. So who, who is in control? Christ. It's not us. And, and the person over here who says, I have no control over my sin, and, and I, I, it's, it's just raining, and I'm going to allow it to continue to rain and maybe fall into temptation, that isn't true either. Because who is in control? It's not sin. It's Christ. Christ is the head and authority, and everything else underneath is, is subservient, meaning that we actually cannot be carried away. We cannot be taken prisoners unless we are willing captives. Now, I, I want to make it clear, I'm not taking away from the power of temptation, of, of, of the difficulty of sin and addiction, but we cannot ever say that those things are more powerful than Christ. Christ is the head and authority of everything. And this actually brings us to the dark truth that answers why we are being taken captive. Why do we sin? It is because we love it more than God. We love sin, and because of that, we do it. And there's actually a thought exercise presented by a pastor. 
He said this, Consider this, if sin did not attract us, it would have absolutely no power over us. We yield to sin because we find it attractive, beneficial, pleasurable, advantageous. Our compulsions, not sin's power, put it in the driver's seat. Sin's fuel resides in our affections. We are willing captives. So for those of us who are able to admit that we sin, admit that we have lived messed up lives, admit that we're not in control, what do we do? Well, we actually look to the true power of this world because look how amazing this truth is. Look at, look at verse 10. It says, You have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. You, you have been filled with the fullness of Christ. And Christ, what is he? He is the head. He is, has all power and authority. So what this is saying is Christ's power and authority is your power and authority. The power and authority that Christ has, the power and authority to overcome sin, to put it to death, has been given to you by him. And right now we may be walking in sin, but God is calling us to walk in him and by walking in him, have his power and authority flowing through us to cut off that love and affection that we have for sin. If sin's fuel resides in our affections, then we need to deprive it of that affection. We need to cut it off and instead replace it with a greater affection, an affection for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, a love for God, and then his power and authority will be the thing that we can say to sin, you no longer hold me captive. You no longer have authority over us because I have God's power and authority working through me. And listen, I, I want to make it clear, I am not speaking as one who is not in the battlefield alongside you. I am in this fight with you. I get it. I, I get sin. I get feeling trapped. I, I, I get the feeling that the, the, the temptation is so strong that no matter what I do, I am going to fail. I'm going to sin. And at first, for a while in my life, you know what I did to solve this problem? Even as I was a Christian, you know what I did to try to solve it? I did what the passage says. I, I actually tried to conquer it with my own power and the world's wisdom. Because there was a time where I was, I was struggling of going home where I, was, I, I said, you know, I'm tired, I'm, I'm exhausted from work, I don't really want to go home, um, you know, I'd rather just be by myself. Um, so what did I do? I Googled it. Um, I said, what do I do when I don't want to go home? How do I love my family more? <laughs> and what did Google say? Take 30 minutes to yourself. You're exhausted from work. You're tired. The psychology tells you that, you know, you need a break. You just need a, some downtime. So it said, take 30 minutes. After 30 minutes, commit the rest of your time to your family. Sounds wise, doesn't it? So I took the 30 minutes. Now, after 30 minutes, what did you think I felt like? Do you think I was like, all right, family time. No, I wanted 30 minutes more. Because it actually wasn't the solution. It wasn't actually penetrating my heart. What did work was when I came to this passage and I saw that, that the affections that I had were for myself. The love I had for was for my selfishness. And I actually needed to say, no, wait, Christ's power is working through me. And Christ is the one who is going to overcome my own selfishness so that I can go home and say, I love my family more than myself. And when I struggled with reoccurring sin, when I thought no matter what I was going to do, I was going to fall into temptation, 
I tried to read books and articles about why the sin was bad, and, and I joined accountability groups where I, I would confess my sin to one another, which are all helpful things. James 5, James 5 says, confess your sin to one another. But that wasn't the solution. What actually overcame it was this truth that God has more power than sin, and I need to love God, and I do love God more than the sin. Saying in the moment when temptation was strong and throughout the day that I love God more than this garbage. I love God more than sin. And God actually has power over this sin that I do not need to commit this sin right now. Knowing that God has given me power not to fall into captivity. And when I did, when I fell into that captivity, every time I said, I actually needed to be honest about my sin and I needed to go to God and I would go to God and I'd say, I admit in this moment, God, I need to repent because I loved this sin more than you. I love this sin more than God. And by repenting of it, I went back to God, and He once again reminded me of His power, saying, you do not have to fall into temptation. You do not have to be in captivity. You can love me more than this sin. So if you are struggling with sin today, know that if you are in Christ, you have been given Christ's power and authority to do, to not be captive to sin. You have the power of the one who created the universe flowing through you, and your love does not have to be a love of sin, but can be a love of the Savior. When you are tempted to sin, may you have the freedom to say, I love God more than this sin. This sin has no power over Christ, which means you have no power over me. So in Christ we walk, In him we have power, and in him we are changed. Look back at verse 11 and 12. It says, In him you were also circumcised, and the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. The imagery actually given here is a complete change of a person. We have, we have put off sinful nature by circumstances. We've been buried with Christ. We have been raised from the dead like Him. And what's taking place is actually two things at once. First is our standing before God. Circumcision, baptism, raised from the dead. Those are all things done outside of ourselves by God to us. And so what happens is when we become a Christian— this immediately takes hold of us. This is immediately true of us, that we are no longer sinful in the eyes of God, but we have been raised from the dead. We are presented blameless before Him. And secondly, we are also being sanctified. We are being changed to fit this description in our lives, because by walking, by being built up in the power of Christ, we will be changed. And we actually find true freedom and joy and life by dying to our old ways of sin, and we must continue to pursue what God has already accomplished and change entirely into who Christ has called us to be. There's this old fable where um, there's this young man who was a womanizer, and, um, you know, he had relationships with a lot of women, and eventually he leaves his hometown. And as he's gone from his hometown, he actually is converted. He becomes a Christian. So one day he returns back to his old town, and as he's walking, um, one of the women that he had relationships with sees him and says, Yoo-hoo! Hello! But he keeps walking. So she assumes that he didn't see her, so she runs up to him and says, It is I! Do you not remember me? And he says, No, 
It is you. I remember you. But I am not the former I. And he says, my old ways of sin, the person who I used to be is not, no longer who I am. I am not going to live this life anymore. And, and honestly, this is the response that we need to be prepared to give if we are truly changing. Because if we are walking in Christ, then who we were before Christ is going to be radically different than who we are when we've been changed by Christ. Because you will have these comments by others that say, you're not fun anymore. You know, you used to be cool. You used to make everybody feel comfortable. You used to do crazy things with us, and, and, and that's not who you are anymore. You used to just come to work and be quiet and do a good job, but now you're talking about Jesus, and you're actually making me uncomfortable. And we have to be prepared for a response to these comments, because if you are in Christ, if, if you have received Christ, you are going to receive these comments. So how do you respond? Let me encourage you to simply respond with, you're right. I am not the former I. And, and let me encourage you to continue the conversation with saying, you know that, that fun, crazy, non-confrontational person? That person was dead. They were dead on the inside. I might have looked happy, and, but I didn't know what true joy was. I didn't know what true life was, but now I do. I am more alive than I have ever been in my entire life because of Christ. And let me encourage you to challenge that person, to say, you know, you look like you're having more fun than me. You look like your life is an adventure. You look like you have no cares in the world. But I would place a bet that at times you feel dead on the inside like I did too. That you don't know that you are loved. That you struggle at times to find meaning in this world. Now let me make you uncomfortable by talking about Jesus. If we are truly in Christ, then we are going to be changed by him. Our actions, our motivations, we are going to change, and people around us should see it. We should be able to see it. We should be able to look back year after year after year and say, look what God has been doing. Look how God has been changing me. We should be able to say, I have been buried with Christ. My old self is being put to death, and my life has been raised from the dead. So let us go back to the starting question. What is the power of love? If we look at God's love for us, the gospel, as not just part of our life, but our entire lives, then our foundation, our roots, then, then we will ultimately love like he loves. We will, in Christ, have the same love that he has for us for others, and we will walk in him and his commands. In him we will have power over our temptations and sin, and in him we will be changed so that we don't even recognize who we used to be when we were dead to sin because we've been so radically transformed. Abraham Lincoln was uh, originally a country lawyer, and, and the story goes that um, he gathered some of his meager earnings and went to a slave auction and purchased a slave. And after purchasing her, he immediately set her free. And she asked him, Mr. Lincoln, are you really setting me free from these chains? Yes, he replied. And she said, are you, so you are saying I, I no longer have to follow a master? Yes, you can go wherever you wish. Then she said, I want to go with you. We follow Christ. We are in Christ, not because we're earning favor, but because we have been set free. 
we were dead and we are now alive. We have seen the love of Christ in our own lives and we will walk in him because of that love. Have your foundation be that love. Let us pray. Dear God,